It's a brand new season here in the beginning of our 49th year as a church family. And uh, it's my practice to start listening, start looking in the early part of the spring. What, what is God wanting us to do? How is he wanting us to head into a new year, into a new season, into the fall season? And I start asking questions. What, what direction do you want us to take? What, what needs in our own lives are you wanting us to address? Uh, what, what does God want to work into our church family as, as we gather again after a summer of rest and, and uh, just breaking from our regular routine? As I look and as I listen, I start to see and, and know patterns, recognize patterns. There, there are phrases that I hear repeated wherever I go or, or themes that start to show up constantly. Um, it, it will sometimes come in a scripture verse or a phrase or even a sentence. This year, very early in, in the whole process, the word was made very clear to me, and the word was simple. It was, was rebuild, rebuild. And, and it's just one word. There was no explanation tied to it, but it was a word that I tripped over almost every day. And, and finally, I said, God, is this the word? Can, can you give me some kind of confirmation? And, and I was going through a file of clippings that I had, and, and I came to a clipping that was from a story February 13th of this year. The story told of a 4.4 magnitude earthquake that had been located three miles north of Banff. There was a cartoon attached to the clipping, and, and it showed some plastic picnic chairs on their sides and a, a toppled, potted plant with the words, we will rebuild underneath. It's sort of a, a humorous take on, on this rock-solid town just being shaken slightly but we will rebuild. And there was the word, and that was my confirmation. And uh, when the Bible uh, wants you to learn, wants you to, to, to understand the strategies and techniques of rebuilding, you end up going to Nehemiah. Now, as a history-loving geek, that, that geek part of me that loves history right now, I want to flood you with all sorts of information about Nehemiah and his times. I, I, I want to tell you, because it's fascinating to, to, to take you back and to, to go over the 500 years from when Moses delivers the law to when the Babylonians come and capture the city of Jerusalem. But I fear that there are not as many history lovers in my audience as, as I would like. And so I'll spare you all that information. Instead, just take you to the straight up story of Nehemiah, his memoirs, as, as it says in the opening verse. Nehemiah is a slave in the palace of the Persian king Artaxerxes. He's called a, a cupbearer, which is a very dated way of saying that he was a sommelier or the man in charge of the liquor cabinet in the king's household. My friend Paul Cole wrote a book about Nehemiah and called him the bartender. It was his responsibility to, 
to procure the finest wines and liquors and bring them to the monarch and make sure that they were both safe for his consumption and available to him at any moment that he requested. That was his job. He he lived, Nehemiah lived in the palace, had the occasional access to the king, but, but was basically a Jewish slave in Persia, or what is modern day Iran, serving this king. The story opens up in the month of December, during the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign. The place is the fortress or or the secondary palace where the the king of Persia would spend the winter months. At this time, this December, a, a group of friends who have returned to Jerusalem have now come looking for Nehemiah. There's Nehemiah's brother and a group of friends and and the group has come to tell him what's going on back home. After the pleasantries of, of greeting one another and settling in together, Nehemiah asks about how things are going in Jerusalem. What state is the city in, he says. And the report that comes back to him is not good. I quote now from the scriptures, things are not going well for, for those who have returned to the city of Jerusalem. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by by fire. Two things that you need to know about the city of Jerusalem and and about this report. The first is, is that this city was the city of God. God had indicated that it was his city. It was his capital. For that reason alone, it was an important city. And and the state of the city was a commentary on the state of the relationship between God and his people. And currently, his people were not in good standing with God because the city, and more importantly, the the walls and the gates, the, the very things that kept the citizenry safe and their assets safe, were nothing now more than rubble and ruin. The second thing to notice is the psychological assessment of the people who were living in the ruins. It's succinctly stated here, they are in great trouble and disgrace. They have signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. They have been slaves for 60 years and now have just recently returned to their homeland. Uh, they've got back home and they have found that not one stone is sitting on top of another. Uh, They're they're fearful all the time about marauding armies that will come and and plunder what little they do have. Uh, They're sitting in the midst of destruction, in the midst of the rubble, and they don't know what to do or where to start. They know their history. They they know their roots were founded in God and and that when there was obedience in the nation, then God would bless and prosper the nation. But because of disobedience, God allowed things to fall apart. So they sit not only in physical ruin, but they sit in shame over where they are with God. But they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to get back to him. They don't know how to get 
life on track. They're, they're just sitting there, not doing anything. They sit in despair, they sit in grief, and they cry, and they complain, and they try to make it through a day, but, but really, things are just a big mess. There's no hope in the city, no hope in the people. Verse 4 of chapter 1, Nehemiah says that when Nehemiah heard this, when I heard this, he said, I sat down and I wept. This report broke something deep inside of Nehemiah. When, when the story had been told about all that had gone on in the current state of the city and its people, something snapped in Nehemiah. He had no words. He, he had no answers. He just sort of fell down into a chair and he wept and the weeping would not stop. We don't talk as Canadians much about grief. We don't talk much about loss. And that's too bad because it comes to all of us. And when it comes, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to process it. Loss comes in many forms and shows up in, in many very different kinds of ways. We know that there's sadness when someone close to us, a loved one, passes away. But that sadness has other consequences. It, it changes everything that we've known to be the reality of our life. And it sends us into this strange land to, to rediscover who we are without that loved one. And, and that is an emotional, exhausting period of time that we don't know when it will end. We experience not only that kind of loss, but we can experience all sorts of loss. We can experience loss because of illness, job loss, divorce, relationship breakdown, isolation. The, the list is endless. And grief follows all those losses. Here's a man who has strong genetic ties to his homeland, although he has never lived in Jerusalem. Commentators suggest that it was his grandparents who last lived there, and so two generations, including his, have now been away from that home. He's never lived in Jerusalem. But, but, but he's, he's got this tie, this, this, this bond, this this story of family and roots that comes. And so when he hears the Jerusalem reports, he, he falls into this deep emotional grief. Listen to what his memoir says. I, I sat down and I wept. And, and in fact, for days I mourned. And then I fasted and and I prayed to the God of heaven. Inexplicable sorrow comes out and, and sort of takes over his life for a number of days. It, it doesn't even tell us how long. But for days I mourned, I cried, I raged, I experienced hopelessness. I wrestled with, with pain and, and I could not give words to, to, to the guilt that I felt. I, I, I did not understand the shock, and, and, and I had no preparation for, for all the emotions, all the ups and downs that I experienced. There were moments of denial where I couldn't believe what I had heard about the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. 
grief is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. It, it's the process that God has given us to work through our losses. Grief is not easy. It's usually pain-filled. It, it can be very confusing. It's disorienting. It, it affects you different than it affects me, different than it affects anybody else. Grief can be postponed, it can be pushed back, but it, it can't be canceled. It has to be dealt with, and, and Nehemiah chooses to work through his grief immediately. He has his brother, he has his friends gathered with him there, but he gives in to, he pays attention to his grief for days. At some point, grief brings you to some choices. We get to decide what we do, where we go with our grief. Back in Jerusalem, there were, were people who were grieving their losses and, and their plight, and their choice was to stand in the midst of the rubble and continue in great trouble and distress. That's a choice. To some, it appears to be the only choice. Just give up. What's the sense? There's no hope. There's no promise. There's no life beyond the misery that is ours right now. That's, that's one of the choices that we have in our grief. Nehemiah mourns deeply, but he makes a different choice. He, he, he sets his face, he intentionally sets his face towards God. And he spends his energies, not on the regular routines of life, but fasts. Sets aside his meals and, and fasts, and he, he prays. He, he looks for God in his grief. There, there's not a person who's listening to me who feels that prayer and fasting is easy. Those who have never done it fear that it just takes out more from our life than it adds. And so they sidestep it. And, and there are those who have prayed and have fasted and, and know that it is a, a wrestling, that it's a process of, of letting our will die so that God's will can come alive in our lives and that's often a vicious battle. Nehemiah chose to follow up his morning with fasting and with prayer to the God of heaven. And when you're broken, when you're wrecked, when you're grieving in pain, you skip the King James Version language and the pious niceties of prayer and you just get to the point. You get to be very honest, very fast. Oh, that's what Nehemiah does here in his grief. He gets very honest, very fast. Read the prayer that starts in verse 5, but let me give you the condensed version. God, I know you're there. I know that you hold great power. I know that you are faithful. I know that you put a high premium on obedience. I know that we are a people, as your people, have been very disobedient. I confess that, that we have sinned greatly. We, we've been rebellious. We've been stubborn. We've been ungrateful. We've been pig-headed people who have ignored you constantly and continuously. 
Nehemiah doesn't play the blame game, doesn't point a finger at, at, at them, those, those pagan neighbors of mine. He, he owns it himself. Verse 6 says, yes, even my own family, and, and let me be really honest, even me, I've sinned. I have no rights. I have no standing, but nonetheless, I ask. In fact, God, I, I demand, I, I demand that you listen to my prayer. I'm aware that you've spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 28 the terms of obedience. If we obey, then life will be blessed and, and prosper. But if we disobey, we will lose what we have. We'll be given to the nations as, as slaves. We'll be exiled from our home. We've made a choice. We've accepted what we deserved. We, we have been exiled. But God, I, I also remember that you said that if we would turn to you, you, you would bring us back to the place that, that you've chosen for your name to be honored. You, you would bring us back to Jerusalem, the, the city of our God. I don't know where everyone is, but I can, I can tell you where I am, God, Nehemiah says. I, I hear myself crying out to you, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Hear my prayer. I choose to honor your name. I choose to be more than a broken man crying over what could have been, what should have been complaining about all that I've lost. I, I choose, God, to be a builder. Hear my prayer. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Help me rebuild all that is broken in me, in my people, in our community, and in our city. Help me rebuild. Help me to be courageous enough to do what is impossible. Help me to be a man who makes a difference. Help me an exile who's a slave and a bartender to the king of Persia. Help, help me to bring my people back to where we belong. To, to build a city, but more importantly, to build a people who not only wear your name, but a people who live under your blessing and bring an envy to all who know us, all who see us, and how good God is to us. God, make me a builder. Make me a builder ready to rebuild. And, and P.S., God, remember, keep in mind that I'm just a bartender. I, I don't know anything about what I'm volunteering to do. In my mind, the story of Nehemiah, his memoirs are one of the most amazing, difficult, inspiring pictures of courage and fortitude in the entire Old Testament. We're, we're going to very much enjoy our struggle working our way through this story, through this fall season. But, but let me tell you why I think it is relevant, why it's important for us to look at it in this, the fall of 2021. We all know where we were standing, what we were doing when the news broke in March of 2020 that a nationwide lockdown, a worldwide shutdown had come. We'd never, ever experienced or seen anything like it in our lives. Not only were we locked down and isolated, 
our, our routines, our rhythms thrown out the window. But we were, we were alone. When, when various events occurred, we were not allowed to gather to discuss it with the people that we, that we trusted. We had Zoom and we had FaceTime, but there was no tender touch there. There was no consoling presence in our world. Fear was at an all-time high, and then sorrow added on top of sorrow. Not only were we unable to join with loved ones when they got married, but when family experienced loss, we weren't able to be there with them and cry with them. The numbers of suicides increased. Opioid crisis soared in, in every city in the nation. For situations like the George Floyd tragedy that added a heap of sorrow to already a grieving world. We here in Canada earlier this year started to learn about indigenous children who, who were taken from their families and while they were in the care of both the church and state, died and were put in unmarked graves. And our hurt increased. Not only that, but the lockdown rules, the, the vaccines, the wearing of masks, created mistrust that we, we didn't know what to do with. Mistrust with, with governments. It, it caused divisions and and, and those divisions were enormous with fault lines falling in some of the most awkward places between friends and family. There was no middle ground. It, it, was, it, it was and it is exhausting. It has people doubting everything and everyone. There, there are questions over faith and faithfulness, over hope and loyalty, and, and the list is endless. This summer, I, I decided that I, I would take the entire month of August off and try to recover from the exhaustion that I was feeling over the many previous months that we had been moving through. I'm a shepherd, and, and I love my sheep, and, and yet there were sheep that I have that were hurting. There were those who were sick. There were those who were confused and maybe more troubling than anything else. There, there were those sheep who had gone invisible, who I hadn't seen face to face. What, what should we do? What could we do? The first week of my time away, I was just tired, too tired to think too tired to do anything, no strength, no motivation. I, I didn't clue in at first, but I now know I was, I was grieving what we had lost over the course of the first 18 months. The, the loss of connection, the loss of trust, the loss of community. We were home for a couple of days and, and there came an opportunity for me to have a little apartment in Victoria for a couple of weeks and I had to be out there to do a, a special wedding and, and Debbie wanted to help our son get ready for his university year in Ontario. So she stayed for a bit at home and then flew out and joined me for a few days and then flew home early. For most of those two weeks I was, I was alone and, and, and it was a wonderful chance for me to grieve my losses alone. 
I, I walked miles every day by the ocean. And on my own, I ranted and I raged and I cried and I mourned and I sat many days and just let the the calm of the waves, the, the, the repetition and rhythm of the waves calm the inner turmoil that was inside of me. It was there that I, I recognized what was happening. I, I was grieving. I, I was observing loss. I, I was wrestling with a sense of despair. Will anything ever be normal again? A, a sense of trouble who, who do you trust? What, what information source do you trust? Who, who can you count on? What will life be like after this is over? Will it ever be over? How, how do we as a church, how do we as a community, under these pressures, with this division and polarization, how do we move ahead? I, like Nehemiah, mourned, grieved, wept for many of those days. But as I said earlier, grief takes you to some choices. Do we remain here in brokenness or, or, or do we choose to do something different? That choice isn't always an easy choice. In grief, going past broken is a lot of effort. It requires resources that we don't think we have. I get it. I don't judge people whose grief who choose grief as a way of life. I understand why that happens. You've been so shattered by disappointment and, and lost trust that you just don't feel like you can trust again. I understand that. I get it. However, when I recognized that it was grief, I remembered the word for this new season, for this fall season, rebuild, rebuild. I remembered the cartoon of the plastic chairs and the overturned uh, potted plant. I, I, I remembered Nehemiah. I remembered the subtitle of Paul Cole's book, The Bartender, the story of Nehemiah. Unexpected people who change the world. I, I was at the junction of choice. Did I choose to dare to believe that God had created a, an opportunity to rebuild? build better than it was before, to rebuild relationship, rebuild community, rebuild us as his people, as his church, better than we were before 18 months ago. I, I, I believe that God could do anything. I, I've always believed that, but there have been moments when I wondered if he would do anything. But I've always believed he could. At the juncture where I stood there, the question was, would I volunteer? Would I re-enlist as a builder for the re rebuilding pro project that was in front of us? Would I come out of my grief, out of my loss, and get honest with God and say, God, listen to my prayer? We can't leave things as they are. We need to have a second chance. We, we need to be who we're supposed to be. We need to be your people, the, the place where you live so that you can be all that you've always wanted to be in us and through us. 
We must build, we must rebuild, and, and I'm volunteering to be a builder. Remember, God, I, I need your help. I need your favor. And don't forget that I have no experience as a builder. I, I'm a pastor on the corner of 36th Street and, and Marbank Drive. I, I, I'm not a builder. Can you use this unexpected person to bring change to the part of the world where you've planted me, where I live? Can, can you use me? You may not be at the re-enlisting point quite yet. You may have just been given the permission to, to realize that you're in grief as a result of all that's gone on over these months that we've just come through. You may have been unaware that the turbulence in your life, the, the dissatisfaction, the weariness, the, the emotional up and down is, is really grief. This is a process. Nehemiah gives us a guide as to how to move from brokenhearted mourning and move to the second chance to build, rebuild a better, stronger life. I love that he is the God who gives us second chances. I, I love that. And I, and I believe that this is a process. That, that Nehemiah will help us identify and label so that we can move on to, to the next part, to, to the rebuilding process. I, I want to pray for you today, and, and, and I'm going to pray scripture over you today. I'm going to take Psalm 34, verse 18, and, and the words of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to pray them over you. You can put your hands out in a receiving fashion as I say this. I thank you, Father, that no matter what our grieving hearts are saying, this is the truth. You are the Lord who is so very close to the brokenhearted. You rescue those whose spirits are crushed. And so today, out of that scripture, I pray that in the grief that we experience right now as individuals, as a community, and as a nation, that you would help us understand, you would help us believe that we're not alone, that you are actively at work in my life, watching over my community, guiding my nation. And I declare the words of Jesus, his invitation to those who are weary and carrying these, these heavy burdens. You tell us to come to you because you will give us rest. You will give us relief. You invite us to exchange our heaviness, our shame, and give it to you in exchange for your strength, for your help, for your involvement, for your kindness. That, that as we do that, you will teach us how to live, how to live better. You will, you will lead us into rebuilding. You, you must show us how to move from the place that we're at to, to the place that we're supposed to be and, and to realize and understand that you are both helpful and gentle in your dealings with us. In this season, will you help us in our grief? In this season, will you make us builders? In this season, will you restore faith 
that it can be rebuilt better than it was before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.